Hello, this is Sid Roth here. Welcome to Meshuggah for Yeshua. Meshuggah is a Hebrew word. It means crazy for Yeshua, Jesus. And you may say, well, Sid, you're crazy for Jesus? And I'll say yes, and I'll say to you, what are you crazy for? Everyone's crazy for something. I just happen to be crazy for Jesus. I am a sugar for Yeshua. And my guest, Rick Renner, he's got he's to be more Meshuga than me. He picks up his whole family and he moves to Russia. Uh, and this was before, uh, Rick, uh, th- this was before uh, communism was down. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Communism was still ruling king at that moment. And, and, and I remember going there before communism was down. And I remember all the security I had to go through and the long lines in the, in the stores and how awful those hotels were. How could you have done that to your family, Rick? <laughs> you know, Sid, well, the first time I went to the Soviet Union, I just fell in love with it. And when I saw those red flags and the sickle and the hammer and the soldiers carrying their machine guns, something in me just woke up and said, this is where you're supposed to be. It had to be the grace of God. Uh, You told me that you really were pushed over, so to speak, when you were teaching in a Bible school in the former Soviet Union, and God spoke to you. Tell me about that. It was the first above-ground Bible school in the Soviet Union. There were about 200 students, and I did not want to go there. I had grown up in a family where we had five missionaries, and I said, being a missionary is something I'm never going to be. And someone really kind of guilted me into going on this mission trip, and I found myself saying yes. So I ended up on this airplane landing in the Soviet Union. Next thing I knew checking into a hotel where there were cockroaches and rat rats and it must have been the same hotel i was at <laughs> i mean the soviet union had just fallen apart it was awful and by the way i did the same awful thing you did i took my wife i didn't know what we were walking into i did one of the first jewish i did probably the first jewish outreach uh in in the former soviet union and i didn't know how bad it was and i took my wife there do you know there were so many cockroaches and bugs and uh, and everything else you can imagine in the hotel rooms that we had to move our bed into the halls because that was safer than, than the rooms that sounds like a soviet hotel Oh, oh, okay, so yeah, you forced yourself, you're speaking, and what happens? I stood up and I opened my Bible, and when I opened my Bible, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, welcome to your new home. And I literally just was stunned by what I heard, and I thought, what? And the Holy Spirit repeated me a second time, welcome to your new home. And that hour that I taught, the whole time I looked into the eyes of those students, I kept thinking, this is my new home. These are my new people. And Sid, God absolutely transferred a love for the Soviet people deep into my heart. And you know, when my family finally made the big move, it took a little, it took a little while for me to get my family there. But within a year, we were there. And when we got off the airplane, came down the steps from the plane, of course, there were Soviet soldiers back in those days that were standing there with the machine guns, and it was dark. But my entire family got on our knees right on the tarmac at the bottom of the airplane, 
and we dedicated ourselves to this land, and we kissed the ground, and we asked God to put the Soviet Union into our heart. And we just didn't know how deep it was going to be put into our heart. Now we're still there, and that was way back in 1991. Now, how many children did you have? We have three sons. Okay, and about how old were they when you came? Uh, Joel turned two that week. I think Philip was six and Paul was eight. And so they were young. And moving your family to the Soviet Union was not something that people were doing back in those days. And I can tell you, Sid, that there are people who came, but as far as I know, we're the only ones that stayed. We don't know another mission family who has been in Russia as long as we have. We don't, we don't know anyone. We've watched history change right in front of our eyes. Oh, I'm sure. But uh, now, the, all these years later, uh, since the early 90s, you have 400 churches that you have a, uh, you're an apostle over. Uh, you, uh, you have a television network. How did you get into television? Well, television started in the very beginning. And I preached at a, uh, I preached in a big event in the city of Riga, Latvia. And the event was broadcast. And my, my wife and I were watching the broadcast. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, now I'm going to tell you why I really brought you here. You know, sometimes God gets you in a direction and doesn't tell you the full story until you're en route. I understand. Well, now we were there, and the Holy Spirit said, now I'm going to tell you why I really brought you here. I want you to take Sunday school to the people of the Soviet Union on television. And so I just begin to do... You know, the Holy Spirit's brilliant. What a great idea. <laughs> you know, they didn't know the Bible. But they were absolutely open-hearted to learn, and the Soviet Union had collapsed. Everything had was just raging out of control, a time of craziness, and people were hungry for answers. And at that particular moment, they wanted to hear what Americans had to say. And so I began to travel all over the Soviet Union and said, we begin to develop a network of stations that have been with us all these years. And we broadcast all over the former Soviet Union. Uh, as from what I understand, you were probably one of the first uh, Christian networks in the former Soviet Union. I believe that we were the first, actually. And it's it's been such an honor that we've been able to broadcast for all these years. That started in 1992. Okay, I need you to help me out. Uh, I am really, in, for lack of better words, in awe of the gifting God has given you. I've been reading your book, Dressed to Kill. I love the subtitle before the title. You don't have to take it anymore because you are dressed to kill. Uh, since I brought that up, what does that, briefly, what does that mean? It really has to do with putting on the whole, the whole armor of God. And, um, you know, Paul's pretty specific in Ephesians chapter 6 about put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And God has provided this wonderful weaponry for us. And if we will wear that weaponry and if we'll walk in that weaponry, it enables us to stand against the wiles of the devil. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to let people understand what I'm talking about. Uh, number one. You are a very, very anointed Bible teacher. Number two, 
you have a handle on the Greek as few people I have ever heard. And I want you to, to kind of illustrate this by uh, where it talks about the armor of God. It's Ephesians chapter 6 in the 10th verse. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Uh, explain the Greek in that, because just looking at what you did with that one sentence uh, it, 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 it would be enough food for the average Christian for a month. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, I studied Greek in the university, so it's a, it's a very serious thing with me. But when Paul says, finally, my brethren, that word finally is toloipon in Greek. It means now to the rest of the matter. And in fact, when you take the whole book of Ephesians, which is filled with theological subjects, you come to the very end where Paul uses this word toloipon, the word finally, in some documents, it would have been translated now to the last and most important matter at hand. That does make a difference. You know, when you say that, it really grabs your attention rather than finally, you know, that's just like almost an afterthought. But go ahead. I mean, when you consider Ephesians is filled with the eternal plan of God, it's filled teaching on the grace of God, salvation, family matters, husband and wife relationships. But when you come to the very end, that word finally is almost the equivalent of, now if you're not going to hang on to anything else that I've said to you in this letter, I've saved this till the end so this will stand supreme in your mind. Finally, to the most important matter at hand, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. And then Paul begins his text on spiritual warfare. It's very powerful. Uh but let's just go down a couple more words. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Tell me about the word strong. That word strong is the word in duo, and it's a compound of two words, the word in, which means to put something in, and the word duo, which is where we get the word dunamis, or the word power. And that word strong describes a specific kind of power that is placed to be put in something. In other words, this is not just a free-floating power that's floating through the air, but this is a power that is designed to be placed into some kind of receptacle. And in this particular case, the Holy Spirit was talking to us. And you and I are the receptacles specially made to be the containers of this special power. And the, the Greek that is used describes a power that flows in and gives an inner strengthening. And, and it is a command. And so this is, this is not an option. This is something that we are commanded to receive. Be strong in the Lord. Receive an infilling of the Spirit, which makes you strong. And when Paul says, in the Lord and in the power of his might, it's really describing about the mighty, miraculous power of God. I, I'll tell you, when I just read your teaching on one line from Ephesians, I, I mean, I've, I felt like I read the, the New Testament for the first time. That, that depth makes such a difference in our comprehension, Rick. I know you know that. But uh, most people, you know, they read that one line in the English, and they miss most of what God's trying to commun communicate. You know, the Greek language was fashioned by God, I believe, in a, in a special way, and, and the Holy Spirit chose it for the New Testament because it is so full. And so when I teach, for instance, in Dress to Kill, I really don't teach verse by verse. I teach word by word. Every single word is like a whole illustrated sermon, and it just opens up 
David prayed in Psalm 119, and he said, Open my eyes to see wondrous things to behold. And I believe that when you study the Greek New Testament, God opens the eyes to see things that are just wondrous. Okay, 1980, you're a student, you're in college, uh, you're home, you're praying, and you have an angelic visitation. Was that your first angelic visitation? Yes, it was, and it took me completely off guard. Tell me about I, it. I was at home at the time, and I had just laid down on my couch. And Sid, I suddenly felt a presence in the room. I'm sure that you've had experiences where you feel something, but you can't, you, you don't know who it is, or you don't know where they are. I felt a presence in that room. And I sat straight up on the couch, reached to my right, turned on the lamp, and within seconds, standing in front of me, a man materialized. And when he materialized, there was such a peace that came with it. He was standing, I would say he was standing probably five to six feet in front of me. And when I looked into his eyes, I've never seen eyes like that. It was like you could look into those eyes forever. They were so deep. And he. Came, I thought to myself, who is this man? Now, I, I thought that, and he never opened his mouth, but he answered me. It was thought-to-thought communication, and he said, I am from the presence of the Lord, and I understood that this was an angel, and he stood there and began to communicate with me three things about my life and about my future, and it was at a very formative stage of my life, and so, of course, this has had a great impact on my life. And I have only rarely shared this experience. What did he tell you about your future? Well, the first thing he told, the first thing he did was he held up his hands and in between his hands, it looked like he was holding a parchment or a text. And I understood that it was the words of first Peter chapter one, where God talks about sojourners and and those who had experienced difficulty in life. And it was like those words left his hands and entered into me. And when they entered into me, they filled they filled my chest, these words about being a sojourner and about being with people who have suffered difficulty for their faith. Then he raised his hands again, and it was in between his hands he held the words of Isaiah chapter 53, where the Bible talks about the suffering Savior. And the words of that entered into me. And I understood again the the sufferings of Christ and people who have suffered. And then, Sid, it was like the whole room filled with a map. And this map began to violently shake. What was it a map of? It was a, a map of the world. Okay. Yeah, I could see the whole world. And this visitor said to me that there's going to be earth-shaking events which are going to take place geographically in your life. And I understood that God was giving me a ministry which was going to reach out to people who had traveled, and my life would be a sojourning ministry, that living in America probably was not going to be my destiny. I didn't understand exactly what it would be, but I understood that it would be a sojourning ministry and that God was calling me to minister to a people who had suffered, and that we would see earth-shaking events happen during our life and would live in a part of the world 
where there would be monumental changes. And just as soon as he appeared, he disappeared. And I found myself sitting on that couch in that room, just pondering what had just happened to me. It was, it was a really life-changing experience. Yeah, you know, before uh, we went on the air, we were talking about your belief in end times based on your knowledge of the Greek and spending a lifetime studying the scriptures and loving the scriptures uh, uh, the way you do. Uh, and you told me that you really feel uh, and you distinguish between the last days uh, and the last of the last days. I've often wondered, uh, you know, when I read the book of Hebrews and it starts out in these last days, and I thought, boy, they sure missed it. Uh, I've commented the difference between the last days and the last of the last days. Well, the last days is a period which began on Pentecost at 9 o'clock in the morning. I mean, God is very specific on his calendar. When Peter stood up and said, these are not drunken as you suppose seen, but it's the ninth hour of the day, this is that which was prophesied by the prophet Joel, that I will pour out my spirit in the last days. And that marked a period which some people call the church age, other people call it the age of grace, but the Bible calls it the last days. And we have literally been living in that time period for 2,000 years. And so when people get skeptical, or maybe they even get a little sarcastic and they say, oh, the last days, we've been living in the last days for 2,000 years. That's exactly right. It's been about a 2,000-year time period. But when you talk about the last of the last days, the Bible is very clear in Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 where it talks about I'll, t I'll tell you what, when we come back from the break, I, I want to pick up right there because most believers I know realize we're in the last of the last days, and I want you to explain that from the Greek. Uh, and everyone wants to understand this as best they can, and that's why we've asked you to put together a four-CD series called Prophetic End Time Alert, in which you teach with your amazing gift of teaching and understanding the Greek. I mean, you even told me for most of your life, uh, you were, uh, uh, you really didn't care about the rapture. You believed in it, but you, you felt maybe that's not something you can really know in this life. But recently, God has shown you from the Greek that you are 100% convinced in the uh, pre-trib rapture. And you say, and I agree, it's about ready to happen. Um, and, uh, but your book, Dressed to Kill, this is, uh, it says you don't have to take it anymore because you're dressed to kill, a biblical approach to spiritual warfare and armor. Now, most people say, well, biblical approach to warfare, I don't want that. What would you say to them? I would say you're going to just have the fight of your life if you don't learn how to put on this war, this armor. This armor is designed to help you. It's so that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. And whether you like it or not, you're going to have a conflict with the devil at some point in your life. And you can either be prepared for it or you can be unprepared for it. Uh, my understanding is if you're right and I'm right and the return of the Messiah is imminent, uh, everything intensifies. And it's a time for people to know how to put on the whole armor of God. 
Now, have you uh, had many people give you feedback of the difference it made in their life by reading this book? Oh, Sid, there have been hundreds of thousands of people that have bought this book. It's in multiple languages around the world, and people have used it in Bible schools, in study groups. It's, it is, uh, well, I'll just tell you, Kenneth Hagin said that it was the, should be the classic on the subject of spiritual warfare. He laid it on the pulpit of his church and taught from it word by word. And I, I can understand why he or anyone would do that. I can't understand if, if anyone that hasn't read this book, because here we are in the last of the last days. Things are not getting better, people. Take a look. Open your eyes. And the devil knows his time is short. And, and I'm going to tell you something. If you will prepare yourself, all the devil can do is blow air at you. I'm telling you, you don't have to take it anymore because when you are dressed in the armor of God, and, and Rick, you have marvelous full-color illustrations of what Paul observed while he was in prison, what that armor looked like. Most Christians don't have a clue what it looked like, but more important than that from the Greek, how to really put that armor on and stand when you've done everything else, stand as that, as you just explained, is that vessel filled with the power of God. And devil, you watch out. When we come back, I want to hear a bit about your understanding of end times. Dress to kill. Absolutely mandatory. If you haven't read that, you are Meshuggah. You're just plain crazy. And the four CDs, Prophetic End Time Alert. I'll tell you, I learned so much by listening. Uh, and Rick's wife is in on this, too, uh, on the four CDs. So we're making the four CDs and the book, Dressed to Kill. You will thank me so many times when you read this book. Available for an investment of $45. Now, why do I say investment? Because any profits we make are poured into Jewish ministry. And I have to tell you, I had such an amazing report come in this morning, and I can't keep quiet about it, because we went on a small Hebrew-language television station with its supernatural in Hebrew. This is historic in itself in Israel. Well, the station we went on has just expanded. It's covering all of Europe right now. Uh, it, it's, it, it's covering so many areas. I mean, it's just like God knew when we would go on this little station, it would expand around the world. And then we went on a station in Ukraine that was small, and we're on in the Ukrainian language. It's supernatural. You know how many Jews there are in Ukraine? I was told when I went to Odessa, Every other person has Jewish ancestry in, in, in Odessa. Well, they have just expanded in an outrageous way. It's a secular TV network. They're all over Ukraine, uh, but now they're all over North America and South America. Uh, so a Ukrainian person that finds themselves in Mexico or South anywhere in South America or, or anywhere in the United States can now listen to its supernatural in Ukrainian. The whole network is Ukrainian. Uh, but the Hebrew one, I mean, with everything going on in, in uh, 
uh, countries like France today, and I don't have to tell you, you, you read it, and Europe, the anti-Semitism is just like it was at that same level just before Hitler took power. And we are now in Hebrew throughout Europe. I mean, this is beyond my wildest expectation. So if you can add something to that investment of $45, now is the acceptable time. When we come back, we'll talk about end times. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, Uh, Sid Roth here with Rick Renner, and I know you can't wait for him to start teaching on end times, but we were distinguishing, Rick, and most Christians don't understand this, the difference between the last days— and the last of the last days, as I, as I had said in the previous segment, I read the book of Hebrews. It, it says starts out in these last days. So obviously they thought uh, when the book of Hebrews was written, it was the last days. Uh, and so I can see where people could get cynical. And that's because they don't understand the difference between the last days and the last of the last days. Explain that. Well, the last days is this time period which began on the day of Pentecost. And the Bible is so specific, it even tells us it began at 9 o'clock in the morning when Peter stood up and said, These men are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the ninth hour of the day. And at that moment, he said that God had, the, the last days had started, that God had poured his Spirit out upon all flesh in the last days. And that started a, a time segment or an era which the Bible technically calls the last days. Some people call it the church age. Some people call it the age of grace. And those are theological theologians' attempts to describe this time period. But the Bible calls it the last days. And it's lasted for 2,000 years. But when you come to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, This know also that in the last days, and this is very different, it's the Greek word eschatos, and the word eschatos, it doesn't say the last time, it says the last days. It's talking about the very wrap-up of this time period. The word eschatos, which is the word last, describes the farthest, farthest, farthest you can go. And when you come to eschatos, you can't go any further. You're literally butting right up against the very end of that age. Uh, it was used in nautical terms to describe the very last port. If you've reached that port, you can go no further. It's as far as you can possibly go. The word eschatos was used to describe the furthest ends of the world. And so when the Holy Spirit talks about the last days and combines the word eschatos, which describes the very, 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 very ultimate end, and then he puts it together with the word days, which is the Greek word himirais, he's not just describing an age. He's talking about the final days. You can't go any further. You've come right to the last port. This is as far as you can go. So what makes you believe we are at that last port as far as you can go now? Well, I believe based on what we see and based on what we read in Second Timothy chapter 3. You know, so you, your ministry is very much to the Jewish people. But if you just read the words of Second Timothy chapter 3, it becomes obvious that we are living in a last days society. And the Bible tells us, very interesting to me, that it says, this know also. The word know is the Greek word genoskete. 
It means know this, emphatically know this, don't miss this, that in the last times, when you come to the very end, the ultimate port, when you can't go any further, the end of the age, perilous times shall come. And Sid, that word perilous is the Greek word kalapos. And it's only used one other place in the whole New Testament. And that is in Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, where it talks about the demoniacs of Gadara. And it says that the demoniacs of Gadara were so dangerous that they were exceedingly fierce. That's the same word perilous, the Greek word kalapos. It describes something that is high risk, something that's filled with danger. And in fact, where those demoniacs were was so dangerous that the end of verse 28 says no one was able to pass by that way. So it became something that was impassable. Now the Holy Spirit reaches and grabs that same word and describes the end of the last days as a time period that is going to be kalapas. It's going to be filled with danger, risk. It's going to be hard to bear. And it's impassable. We're, we're not going to avoid this. This is something that no one's going to be able to sidetrack. Very important what the Holy Spirit says. Tell me some reasons why you believe we're at the last of port possible before the return of the Messiah. Well, there different. There are different signs. Uh, of course, Israel is a major sign. I mean, it's you. You can't avoid the very fact that Israel is one of the greatest shouting marks that we've entered the last of the last days. And when you read Matthew chapter twenty-four, Jesus talks about birth pains. That these are just the beginning of sorrows, and that the earth is going to go into a period like a woman in travail. At first, the birth pains will be. Uh, intermittent, but the, but the closer we come to the transition into that new age, those birth pains will become closer and closer and closer and closer, and then it gives birth to a new age. And so if you look at the dealings of God in the history of man, every age as it's closed and it started a new age, they've all ended in pain before they gave birth to a new age. And so this is very much in line with how God has dealt throughout human history. It's wonderful. You know, those those teachings that you're offering on the pr- prophetic alert about these last days, that is amazing teaching. Uh, okay. I would like you to tell me when you believe the last of the last days started. I believe the last of the last days started about the mid-1850s. You know, Peter Peter says that in the last days, scoffers will come, saying, oh, nothing's changed, everything has been the same from the very beginning. And about the mid-1850s, there was a great geological scientist in Britain who proposed the doctrine that everything is the same as it was from the beginning. It's almost a direct quote from Scripture. And he denied the flood, he denied uh, creation. He didn't actually deny them. He just said they all have scientific reasons, that the earth is a place that is in movement. None of these have anything to do with divine uh, intervention, nothing, nothing divine whatsoever. And he had a great influence on a young man who was on a ship on the way to South America, and that was Charles Darwin. 
And Charles Darwin read those volumes and informed the thinking of Charles Darwin and really set him in a position to believe in the evolutionary theory. It's amazing how one person can influence another person's life. And at that time, skeptics begin to challenge the Bible and say, where is the promise of his coming? This this is just a, a charade. This is something people have been saying forever. They've been saying this for 2,000 years. Not understanding, of course, that they were correct. It has been about 2,000 years since the last days began. And they begin to challenge the authority of the Bible. And I believe the mid-1850s is about the time that the last days officially triggered. And, of course, it's, it's, uh, it made a lot of people atheists and agnostics. And you were telling me before we went the, on the air, uh, the Greek word for agnostic, what does it mean? It's the Greek word agnosis, the word, from the word gnosis, which means knowledge. But if you put an A on the front of it, it cancels it. So it's no longer somebody that has knowledge. It's someone that's ignorant or someone who is stupid. One day I was on an airplane and man sitting next to me, I said to him, what do you believe? He said, I'm an agnostic. I said, really, you better think about that. He said, well, why? I said, because the Greek word agnostic means one who's ignorant or one who is stupid. He said, are you kidding me? <laughs> you just sat here and told me you were stupid. I just got a great post from my Facebook. <laughs> a definition of agnostic from the Greek. Stupid. <laughs> Uh, Tell me uh, some of the signs of the second coming. Well, of course, I would say the signs of the rapture. How's that? Okay. Because because the second coming is really a different event. Correct. We have the the rapture, which occurs first, when Jesus will come and we will meet him in the air. And the Bible tells us that we will go to heaven— and we'll be with the Lord, and then he will return at the end of seven years. And it says in the book of Jude that he will come with ten thousands and thousands of his saints. Enoch was the seventh from Adam, and he is the one who prophesied the second coming. So this is not new information. God has been speaking about the second coming, the grand arrival of Jesus, ever since the very beginning of time. But if you study Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus talks about wars and rumors of wars, Jesus pretty much lays it out and says that as we get closer and closer to the end, things are going to intensify. And then when you read 2 Timothy chapter chapter 3, where Paul describes how society is going to change, my goodness, it's very, it's very clear to see that we're living in an end-time society. Well, what does he say? How will society change? Well, he says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. He goes through this whole list and actually gives 19 different points of things that are going to happen in society in the last days. And, you know, I find it interesting that right in the very middle of it, he says false accusers, which is the Greek word diaboloi. It really is the word devils. It's almost like Paul says, oh, the devil is in the mix. It's, he's giving this list, this scenario of everything that's going to take place in the last days, and takes a breather himself and says the devil is right in the middle of all of it. And you know, Sid, it's so important that we understand the Scripture. Somebody might say, well, why do we need to understand these verses on the last days? Well, it begins by saying this, no, 
This is something the Holy Spirit wants us to know because he wants to prepare us. He didn't say these things to scare us. Scaring us wouldn't help us or anyone else. But the Holy Spirit wants us to be prepared so that we could insulate ourselves and that the things which happen in society in the last days don't happen inside our homes. We don't have to sink with the rest of the ship. I mean, the, the rest of the ship can be sinking and we can float on the same waters that are destruction to everyone else. And that's why I believe it's so very important that we understand the times in which we live. But, but wait a second. Whether someone believes in the pre-trib rapture or, or not, we know that even if, there's, if the pre-trib rapture is correct, there's going to be some very destructive times on planet Earth. We're not getting out of here before things get bad, uh, even in the pre-trib rapture. Uh, so why do you say people shouldn't be fearful? We're anointed for this. We, we were not born in this generation by accident. God anointed us for these times, and we have the whole armor of God. We are equipped for these times. We're chosen. Just think, Sid, about the things which, uh, I mean, when I think of the things that I've experienced in my life living in the Soviet Union, I have seen history change. There are prophets who prophesied the times which we're living in. They would have loved to live in these moments. And even though these are great moments of change in the earth, and there's wars and rumors of wars, we have the protection of God. And we can walk in the whole armor of God, and we can walk through these times and be unaffected. Uh, you know, I love the title of the book we're making available. You don't have to take it anymore because you are dressed to kill. And then you have uh, a Roman soldier who is was trained to be a professional killer, but that was what the illustration Paul used in uh, and these graphics you have in full color of what each part of the armor is, uh, I can just picture Paul in prison looking at each piece of armor and recognizing it's supernatural. And when you are dressed to kill, just as the Roman was dressed to be a killer, devil, watch out. That's why you have this subtitle, you don't have to take it anymore because you are dressed to kill. You know, this, this book, these illustrations are worth the whole book. They really cause the weapons of warfare to come alive. And, and uh, you know, you said on the last show uh, that, uh, we, that Kenneth Hagin was, read this for his students word for word. <laughs> I mean, because you're such a brilliant Bible teacher. But I believe that, number one, as you stated, we are anointed and chosen and called to be alive at this moment. And number two, we, we don't have to get knocked down every few months by the devil. There's something better. There's a better way to live. And I, I can't imagine any believer on the earth not devouring this book, reading it word by word, not skipping through it, because this will equip you to fulfill the destiny God's called you to. And then we have the four CDs called Prophetic End Time Alert, brilliant teaching by Rick Renner and his wife on the end times. Uh, Rick you had two visitations from Jesus that were pretty monumental. Uh, the first visitation you had was in 1985. Tell me about it. Well, in 1985, 
then my wife and I were traveling across the United States, and we were staying in a person's home in between meetings. And we went to bed, and about 2 o'clock in the morning, I couldn't sleep. And I kept going, trying to go to sleep, and I rebuked the devil and thought, what is this that's disturbing me so much I can't sleep? It, it just, I just could not go to sleep. So I thought, you know, I'm going to get up and go pray. So I went to the back room of that house, and I began to pray, and I began to pray in tongues. And I began to pray deeply in tongues. I'm sure you've had those experiences where you prayed so deep in in the Spirit, it's it's like you almost became lost in another realm. Well, I found myself almost lost in tongues. I was praying so deeply in other tongues. And I was walking back and forth in that room with my eyes closed and got on my knees and began to worship in the Spirit. And when I opened my eyes, I was no longer in that room. I was standing in, I want to call it a dark place, but it wasn't a scary place. And I understood that I was in the spirit realm. And said I looked and in the distance, I saw a light. And the light got brighter and brighter and brighter as it approached me. And soon it manifested in front of me, and it was Jesus who was sitting in a chair. And Jesus began to talk to me about my ministry. Now, he had already... You know, this angel had appeared to me earlier, but this was the first time I had ever seen Jesus. And Jesus reached out and took my hands, and he took them one at a time. And I say that he sandwiched my hands. He put one hand under my hand, another hand on top of my hand, and he held my hand in between his hands. And he did it to one hand, then he did it to the other hand. And he said, see today... I'm giving you an anointing of love mixed with hate. And I said, well, what is that? He said, that is what compassion is. It is love for the person and hatred for what the devil has done in their life. And when love and divine hate are mixed together, it creates a supernatural flow of compassion. And then suddenly I saw myself walking through what looked like a hospital corridor and Doctors and nurses dressed in very different kinds of outfits like I had never seen before. Well, I know today that it's exactly the way that it looks if you're in a, in a Russian hospital. And as I walked through that corridor, ministering to people that compassion of God, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I'm going to be sending to you a people who are very wounded. Well, this, this was very compatible with what I had already seen when the angel appeared to me and told me I was going to be sent to a people that had suffered. And you know, Sid, the, then the Lord said to me, See, today I place before you finances on a wealth that are amassing more finances even now. And I felt almost as though that word entered into me. And I felt myself filled with faith for finances and that God would supernaturally provide everything we need for what he was calling us to do. And then when it was over, Jesus stood up, turned around, and walked right back to where that light had come from. And when I opened my eyes after praying for a few moments, I found myself on my knees in that room. I was no longer in the spirit realm, but I was in that room. 
And this is one reason why I love to read John's words in John chapter 1, verse 9, when he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That word was is the Greek word genomai. It describes an event which takes you off guard and by surprise. You could never anticipate it. You could never replicate it. When John says, I was in, in the Spirit, there's no definite article. It literally says, I came to find myself in spirit. You could translate it, I came to find myself in another dimension. And that is exactly what happened to me that night. When Jesus laid his hands on me, talked to me about the compassion, anointing in which he was giving to my life, and how he was sending me to minister to a people that had been wounded. And then you had a second visitation in 1987 from Jesus. What happened then? I was in Canada, and I was in a hotel room. And I woke up in the morning, and when I woke up, Jesus was standing at the foot of my bed, just as real as if my wife had been standing at the foot of my bed. I sat straight up in my bed and looked at Jesus. This was an, an, an open vision. My eyes were wide open. I was not sleeping. And Jesus was standing at the foot of my bed and just looked at me. And I, I don't want to say, oh, the look on his face was like, I have something to tell you and something to show you. And I had been very worried at that moment about our children, you know, our sons. And I was gone so much, and the demands of the ministry were requiring so much of me to be away. And all of a sudden, I saw my son, Paul, who was my eldest son, our eldest son, jump up into the arms of Jesus. And Jesus held him and looked at me and said, you don't need to worry about your sons. I've got my, I've got control on your sons. And, you know, Sid, our sons, all three of them work with us in the ministry. They are our partners in what we do. And then I heard the sound of an airplane engine. I mean, just the roars of an engine. And it's sometimes hard to describe things which happen in a spiritual dimension but I felt like a liftoff, and I could feel myself lifting off. And Jesus said, see, I'm sending you into the world. And then it was over, and Jesus was gone, and I was sitting upright in my bed. Well, years later, whenever my wife and I got on the airplane with our family, the first airplane that was carrying us to the Soviet Union, when that plane took off down that runway and that liftoff took place, I had a flashback to that moment when I had heard those airplane engines and I heard Jesus say when the airplane took off, see, I'm sending you into the world. And Sid, the world has been our home ever since. We come to the United States as visitors, very often shocked by what we see in the United States, and the world has become our home. Tell, tell me why you wrote the book Dress to Kill. Oh, I wrote the book Dress to Kill, first of all, because at that particular time, there was so much crazy teaching about spiritual warfare. You know, if you have a wrong view of the devil and a wrong view of spiritual warfare, it can really mess you up. And I saw people who were doing things, trying to take control of the devil, which were just silly. And so I dove into the Bible to see what the Bible really has to say about the subject of spiritual warfare. And I wrote this book to be a balance and that's why part of the subhead says a biblical approach to spiritual warfare and armor. You don't have to just hope that you're doing it right. 
the Bible tells us very specifically how to resist the devil, and this book tells you how to do it. Should anyone be fearful uh, if they understand from the Bible how to be, as you put it, dressed to kill? Well, if you're walking in the whole armor of God, and if you're walking in the shadow of the Almighty, you have no reason to be afraid. You know, Psalm 91 talks about he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. If you're dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, in the shadow of the Almighty, you're living under his protective care. And when you read Psalm chapter 91, the whole chapter is about the promises that belong to those who are walking closely to the Lord. And, you know, Sid, I, I would say that if you're walking with the Lord, and if you're putting on the whole armor of God, and you're renewing your mind with the Word of God and doing your very best, that won't spare you from an attack. The devil's going to try to attack you regardless. The Apostle Paul was very clear that there were places that he wanted to go and things that he wanted to do, but Satan hindered him. But Satan was never able to knock him out of the race. Satan was never able to keep him down because he was dressed in the whole armor of God. It's mandatory. And as a matter of fact, when we come back, I'd like you to explain to us how we put on the armor. I mean, do we physically pretend to put it on? Or or how does this work? Uh, But in the meantime, this book is so rich from Rick's unusual gift of teaching, plus him being equipped in knowing the Greek. In fact, I said to him after reading this book, I want you to produce a New Testament with the understanding of Greek that you have. And he said, I've already started on it. But you won't want to put this book down. You'll ponder over just one line of Scripture when he breaks it down in the Greek. Uh, I mean, the Greek language is so much more picturesque uh, than our English language. Uh, but more important than that, we are in the last the last days. You've got to be equipped from a balanced biblical perspective. So I want to send you the book and the four CDs, Prophetic End Time Alert, for an investment of $45. I did say investment. So many doors are opening for us to preach the gospel. Uh, For instance, in Germany, many Russian Jews have immigrated there rather than Israel. Well, do you know that we have distributed 190,000 of my Jewish evangelistic book, They Thought for Themselves, in Germany to Russian Jews. And by the way, in the former Soviet Union, we've distributed 1.3 million of my book of 10 Jewish people that came to believe Jesus is the Messiah. It's called They Thought for Themselves. I mean, can you imagine, Rick, putting an investment uh, of 1 million 300,000 of those books in Russian going to Jewish people throughout the former Soviet Union. Only heaven will tell us what happened as a result of that. So uh, when you make the investment of $45, any profits are poured into Jewish ministry. When we come back, let's find out what putting the armor of God really means. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. Hello, Sid Roth here with Rick Renner, and I hope you're enjoying this discussion as much as I am. Uh, Rick, 
What does it mean when God tells us to put on his full armor? Well, the word put on describes a clothing. The, the, The real key is when it says the whole armor of God. It describes the armor which comes from from God himself. And you are clothed with the armor of God as long as you're walking in relationship with God. This is not just sitting down and pretending like you're putting on a helmet or putting on a breastplate. I mean, going through all those motions may mentally help you, but that's not going to clothe you. But when you are walking with God, there is a power which flows continuously that clothes you in this whole armor. You step away from your relationship with the Lord, and you will not be clothed. But as long as you're walking in relationship with God, there is armor that protects you. But you mentioned some armor that uh, I don't recall it being in the New Testament. How did you get it? You talk about the, the long lance. Oh, the lance of prayer and supplication. That's in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. You know, there's, there, were, there were a specific number of uh, pieces of spiritual weaponry, and the lance has to be there. So I found it, Sid, and I write about it, a whole chapter about the lance of prayer and intercession. That's a great chapter in this book. Well, the whole book is so wonderful. As a matter of fact, uh, how how do you—I mean, I know you study Greek, but I have a lot of friends that have studied Greek. But the way you break it down, it's like reading the Bible all over again. Well, thank you. I just believe it's a gift which God gave me, and it's my place. And it's it's what God's given me to do. Well, I, I mean, I, I I just got stuck on the chapter talking about uh, the uh, uh, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And when you broke those Greek words down, I I, I mean, it just opens vistas to people. But I believe that what Rick put on the cover of this book is exactly what's going to happen to you. You don't have to take it anymore because you are dressed to kill, not the devil. You are dressed to kill and stop the devil right in his tracks for you, in your life, your family's lives, your friend's life. Um, and the pictures, uh, you, you don't get this in a Bible. Uh, uh, Paul got it. I mean, he was sitting in a prison cell, uh, and he could look at those Roman soldiers that were there to guard him, and he looked at each piece of, uh, of the equipment of how they were dressed and described it. Uh, and when you read it in the book of Ephesians, but then when you see these full-color pictures, it really has an impact. So I want to get his book, Dressed to Kill, and the four CDs, Prophetic End Time Alert. It's available for an investment of $45, and anything you put in beyond that $45 is going to be sown to Jewish ministry. For instance, do you know in North America, that's Canada and the United States, we have mailed 1.4 million of my Jewish evangelistic book to 1.4 million Jewish households? I mean, only heaven knows of the fruit. These are Jewish people that no one's sharing with. They should be, but no one's sharing with them. So that's why God gave me this project. So I pray in Jesus' name that ridiculous favor overtake you.
Yo era Adonai panabelacha vichonecha. Yisa Adonai panabelacha veasem lecha with comparisons about what separates us. Day after day, we go about our lives with tunnel vision. But scripture tells us how Messiah broke down the wall between Jew and Gentile, allowing for the creation of one new man, one new humanity. This spiritual completeness is set to usher in the greatest move toward God the world has ever known. Log on to SidRoth.org today and learn how one new man is the key to unlocking God's greatest blessings. To place a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.